You're listening to the Protecting Your Practice podcast with your hosts, Attorney Dan Mayer and Licensed Counselor Melissa Westner. Dan is not your attorney and Melissa is not your therapist, but they're here to help you cross your T's and dot your I's as they talk about all the things you wish you had learned in grad school. And now, here are your hosts. Hi there, and welcome to season two of the Protecting Your Practice podcast. This season, Dan and I are interviewing mental health practitioners who are talking about challenges they've experienced in their work. The fact that Dan and I talk about protecting your practice might lead some people to believe that we are immune from facing our own set of challenges in our work. Some people might think that we've got it all figured out and these things must never happen to us. And since that is most definitely not the case, we thought that we would share too. So today, Melissa is switching roles and um, I will be interviewing her as she gets into the hot seat to talk about one of the scariest situations that she's ever had to deal with. Um, and, you know, in, as her own experience as a mental health practitioner. Um, and it really involves her being stalked as a result of her work in the mental health field. Yeah. So there are a handful of people who know about my experience. Obviously, the people who worked with me at the time that this was happening knew about what happened. And over you know, a course of years, I've shared with a few people about the situation that's happened. So one thing just to put out there as, as I'm sharing today is to know that you know, I, I think that this is an important topic and it's one that a lot of mental health providers, not a lot, I mean, hopefully not a lot of mental health providers have experienced this, but I am quite positive that I'm not the only mental health practitioner who's experienced this. And yet I know for me personally, when I was going through it, I didn't have a lot of resources. I didn't have a lot of people that I could talk to who had been there um, to kind of guide me through the situation. Um, so I'm hoping that it will be helpful for people in that way. If you have had a similar experience, but just kind of felt alone, you're like, I don't know anyone else who's been through this situation, but also just to put it out there that one of the things I've been feeling really cautious about in sharing here on the podcast, um, is just, I want to make sure that I'm speaking in general, in some ways to protect the identity of the person who was involved with this stalking situation. I also want to put it out there. Um, that this situation, it was super scary while I was going through it. But once the situation got resolved and it was taken care of, life for me pretty much went back to normal. It's not something that was impacting me on a regular basis. Um, although there's been at least one time in doing some clinical work where some things got shuffled up. Um, and even today, I was just telling Dan that even though this topic typically doesn't bother me and I can share about it pretty freely. Definitely feeling a little bit nervous at thinking about sharing in this public forum. I've never shared about this publicly. So there's a little nervousness around that, a little bit of nauseousness that or nausea in talking about it, but we're going to do it. And I hope that some other people will find it helpful too. So before we begin and I start peppering Melissa's questions, I want to say two things. First, let me thank you, Melissa, for being courageous and willing to talk about this and share it with our listeners. Secondly, I want to express appreciation personally that you're willing to do so. Um, and I feel grateful enough that you uh, that you feel comfortable with me and are willing to talk with me about it. So I want to just say those two things before we start. So let's start with the first question I have top my head and, and want to top my list here. You know, I want to be sensitive you know, to your needs here. And I know, as I know that this is something you've been 
cautious about talking about. Let's talk first. Tell me about what happened and and let's go from there. To put it generally, I ended up being stalked as a result of my work in the mental health field. I guess we could say on three different occasions. So by by the same individual. I worked at an agency for a number of years. And at this agency, when you worked there, it's not like you knew only the people who were on your caseload. You knew a lot of people at the agency, and that was quite normal. And so this particular person who ended up stalking me was not someone directly under my care, but it was someone who was at the agency where I worked. So it started out with this person writing me notes. Hey, can we go out? Yes or no. Making comments to me that initially, honestly, I chalked it up to here's another guy just being really inappropriate, making comments about women's bodies or being inappropriate by trying to cross professional boundaries. I had conversations with the person about what is and is not appropriate and boundaries Um, That didn't quite work. This person's therapist ended up meeting with them and having a conversation. A clinical supervisor also ended up having a conversation. Um, And those interventions were not successful in that this person would continue to try to talk with me, try to see me while I'm on the job and would try calling me on the phone at work. And also at that same time, it was kind of clear that this person's mental health was declining as well. So. What ultimately ended up happening is that this person's care was transferred elsewhere. And it looks like that worked in terms of, you know, the agency trying to be mindful of my safety that seemed to work until a few years later when I, I'm not sure which one happened first, but I think what happened is that I ended up getting a message on Facebook saying, Hey, I saw you outside your house on this street standing next to this very specific kind of car. Oh my God. And in fact, the street mentioned was my street. And the car make and model that was mentioned was in fact my car. I lived only a few blocks from my workplace at the time. And this person must have been driving by, saw me outside. And in fact, they, they were correct. And the other question that I had was, how in the world was this person able to find me on Facebook? My account was set to private. So this is like years ago. If you can remember, like, you know, some things were not where we are now with like being able to Google everything, buy a book that you want on Amazon or like phones with texting. Like, you know, we weren't at the same place with technology. So I do remember that when my Facebook account was set up, because I am just not the tech savvy person and I'm a little bit slow to come around to things. I had my husband set up my Facebook account for me because I was like, why do I need this thing? And I had him make sure that nobody could find me. Nobody could search for me as a result of my work. But I don't know if any of you remember, there was a time where Facebook made everybody's Facebook accounts public without informing everybody. And it was this exact time and reason that this person was able to find me. So, of course, I did what I had to do, locked up my account again because I had no idea that it was made public without my knowledge or permission. And so I went to my job and I was like, I guess I should let them know that this is happening. So I printed out the message that I received. I sent it with my job, my job. You know, they were really supportive, like, hey, Melissa, 
please keep us posted. Please let us know. They were, you know, worried about me and my safety and really wanted to make sure that I was safe. So that happened. Um, and then on another occasion, I'm not sure about the time frame, but probably fairly shortly after that, um, I woke up one morning. I worked the early shift, so I got to show up at work at 5.30 a.m. in the morning. Everything's right. nice and dark. Mm -hmm. And I saw a note on my car. And it was something general. I didn't know what it was. The person's initials were on the note, but I was really confused. It's 5.30 in the morning. It's dark. There's a note and a hat on the top of my car. And I'm so confused. I'm like, I don't know anyone with these initials. Maybe someone put this on the wrong car. And I literally picked up the note and the hat and I stuck it on my neighbor's car, I think, because I was like, it's not mine. It must be for my neighbor. And it wasn't until some other things happened that I started to connect the dots and realize that that was not a mistake. Mm. So from there, what did start to happen is that I ended up getting notes in my mailbox, flowers in my note box or in my mailbox. Um, and it became clear that he was starting to visit my home pretty frequently. Now, for anyone who's ever been in a situation, whether it's been like a theft or something, somebody has gotten into your home and they were not supposed to get into your home, then you know that there's something just really, really vulnerable about that. Someone coming to your house uninvited, someone getting into your home, did not get into my home, but it just really is a sense of a violation, a boundary crossing. Sure. Um, but these things were happening. So, of course, I am in contact with my job and, and I was not living in my home for very long. Like I had purchased our home not long ago and my job was like, well, do you want a dog, Melissa? And they would have happily gotten one for me. And I was like, no, I definitely don't want a dog. <laughs> and do you want to do you want to move? Do you think you need to move? And I'm like, I am not moving. I have not been living here long and I am not going to let someone make me feel so uncomfortable that I feel like I need to move. I am not doing that. So I was in contact, you know, with my, with my job, they did call the police. We had a meeting with the local police sure. to say, Hey, this is what's going on. The police did start patrolling. Um, I could see that they were coming by. Um, but one of the challenges that came up is that even though we had documentation, we have these notes, I think he may have come to my job at some point. We had videos in the clinic where I worked. Despite the videos, despite the notes, the cops were like, we can't do anything with this. There's nothing that we could do, even though you have these things that I would think are considered evidence. They were like, unless we catch this person in the moment doing this, there's nothing that we can do. Mm -hmm. So at some point I had to learn about filing for I think it was a peace order, not a, you know, if you've had to go through this process, there's a difference between a peace order and protective order, I think. So I had to learn how to file these forms. Um, but there is a challenge in that is that I was the person being stalked. I was not stalking this individual. And when you fill out these forms, they ask you, well, what is the person's address? What is the person's phone number? What is the person's maybe social security number? I don't know. I'm not stalking this person. I don't know. How in the world do you want me to get this information for you? So again, because this is years later, the information that I would have been able to access might not have been up to date, but they need this information in order to serve papers to somebody. Right. So this was round two. 
Um, but during that time, my husband was kind of like a watchdog. Like we, you know, again, back, back when this happened, people didn't have cameras around their homes. Like now people have like their ADT or whatever security system they're using their cameras that, I mean, some people had that, but it just wasn't the norm. And so we didn't have any kind of camera systems at our home or anything. And so my husband really became like a watchdog staring out the door, any kind of motion outside. Was it him? Um, and in fact, on one of the occasions where on one of the occasions where my husband was looking out the window, kind of doing his thing to keep an eye out, um, he did see him at our house. We were able to call the cops. The cops were able to come and intervene. Um, the person was taken to the hospital that, which was an appropriate intervention for that situation. But again, like the challenges just came, kept coming up. So just because he was in the hospital didn't mean that he had been served the papers, right? So now I have to make sure that the person is served the papers. If they're not served papers, then we're not going to go to court to make this official that this person cannot come to my house, cannot contact me, can't come to my job. So there were just so many challenges that came up. And this is just, this is just like the first time where he was coming to my house. So there's more that came after that, but I know you might have some questions. So I'm going to stop going on my little rant here. First of all, I can only imagine, you know, you were talking about Facebook and, you know, how they they made it run public. And I think I vaguely remember that, you know, the question that popped in my head at that moment as you were talking was how many other people went through this? Because, you know, given the massive number of people who are on Facebook and given that this is likely you're not likely the only person who probably has gone through something like this. Like how many other people could have been affected by something like this? It's, it's, when you really stop thinking about it, you're like, oh my God, how just messed up that is. Right. Uh, well, and to go down another little rant of mine, that is one of the reasons why I get so ticked off and so irritated with some of these other websites that yeah. um, allow you to search for people online, like Spokio, I don't even know if that's yeah. how you pronounce it, is one of them where they're like, we do this for people's safety do your, get your information on people. I'm like, this is really, if we're being honest, this is not about people's safety because you're putting people's personal information online, making it accessible to people who you might not want to have access to. It is actually quite dangerous for people. Yeah. They're, they're the information brokers. And essentially what they they do is they, they buy personal information and and, any number of sites out there now. And, And that's one of the reasons it's interesting. You mentioned this only because I, you know, just become aware recently that there's a number of sites now, like I think there's a, a site called Delete Me and things like that that are specifically focused. You can like pay them and they will go through and scrub the internet because of the danger, you know, particularly people like, you know, who are in your situation where this kind of information out there can be really, you know, useful information to people who are not, you know, using it for good. Yeah. And the reason that I first became aware with some of those websites was when I was starting a new job and they were talking about these websites and they were saying, you know, hey, go do a search for yourself, specifically paying attention to websites such as this one, because they may be making your information public or accessible Mm -hmm. to people and you might not want it to be. Right. Exactly. So that's first off, you know, you mentioned that you had to go through a number of steps just to get the police involved. And there were other stuff you probably didn't even mention, you know, just contact the police, get him to file a police report, get him to come out and start patrolling. Um, you talked about filing, you know, whether it's a peace order um, or protective order. 
you know, so I guess my question to you is how difficult did you find it to start taking the steps needed to get this resolved? You know, was it, did you find it relatively easy or was it relatively difficult to get, you know, figure out, okay, how do I file a protective order? How do I, who do I need to talk to the police department to get something done? And was it pretty straightforward or were you like, you know, this could seem like it'd be an overwhelming task for someone to do in your circumstances where they're already suffering, you know, emotionally, the impact of having this kind of trauma be forced upon them. Yeah. In some ways, it's a little bit of a mixed bag, right? Like the initial contact with the police officers, that was really easy. They came out, they wanted to be helpful. They were Mm -hmm. patrolling, no challenges there whatsoever. Anytime that I had to call the police because there was a new thing that happened, they would come right out because they made people aware. So I had really good experiences there, but the system itself was not great. So this is where the system was broken. I was living in one county and the individual doing this was living in another. And so there were times where they were like, well, you know, unless this person is caught in the moment, we can't do anything about it, even with all this documentation that you have. Like, so that was kind of a problem in in terms of getting things resolved. Also, they were like, we're in this county, this person's in another, there's nothing we can do about it. You know, which if you're watching any type of criminal show on TV, they're like, they cross state lines. This now becomes a bigger issue, right? Right. And it makes it sound like now we're going to get more help because they just did this thing. But in my case, it was like, oh, they're in a different county. Oh, our hands are tied. There's nothing that we can do now. Uh, You know, like in hindsight, I'm like, you don't have a telephone. You don't have a telephone. You can't call people. So location actually was an issue that came up. But for the most part, they were responsive, but police officers, you know, their hands were tied based on the system that they had to operate in as well. There was another time. So, you know, to kind of skip ahead a little bit, this person did end up getting arrested. They got out of jail. And I can tell you that within 10 days, they were back at my house. Oh my God. And so, but you know, when I got the phone call from my job, they're like, Hey, Melissa, I have some not great news. This is what's going on. Um, you know, this person's back, they're coming and they're asking for you. I was unusually optimistic. I was like, you know what? We've been through this one time before. We know exactly what we have to do now to get this resolved, right? And this person's already gotten in trouble for this one time before. You know, we got this. We're going to figure this out. This is going to be so much easier than the first time. Only that is not what happened, in fact. So I had to do some research to find out, you know, this person just got out, right? Surely if they've already been arrested. They've already been in jail for this one time. Surely he's not just going to be allowed to continue engaging that same behavior again without consequence. Mm -hmm. So he was on probation, parole. I don't even know. It's been a while. But point is he had to check in with somebody as a result of what happened. Right. And so when I called the police, police officer came to my house and I'm like, Hey, listen, surely he can't do this again. Right. And When the police officer made some phone calls for me, they were like, there's nothing we can do because this is not listed as a condition of this person's time in the public. It doesn't, there's nothing in his release paperwork that says he can't do this, right? As a condition of like, in order to be compliant, he can't stalk you again, which sounds ridiculous. Right. That that would not have been a part of the expectation. 
Um, But it wasn't. And so again, we had this repeat where unless he was found doing something caught, you know, caught engaging in a behavior, there was nothing that could be done. Mm -hmm. Um, So again, there were some systemic issues in place. There was only one situation one time where I had a not so great uh, encounter with one of the police officers. And that was when I had to go to the local hospital in order to talk with someone to say, Hey, listen, I know that this person has been admitted to the hospital and I need to make sure that they are served these papers. And the first cop that I was talking to was helpful, but there was another cop standing nearby who was just ear hustling and thought he would come on over and throw in his two cents. And his two cents sounded something like, you know, what does it matter? You're just going to get back with this person in a few days anyway. <laughs> oh my God. Assuming, assuming oh no. that he knew something about my situation, right? Assuming that perhaps this was um, a situation of um, like a partnered like boyfriend or something, right? Relationship, um, which it was not. But also, in those cases, that is still not the appropriate way to handle those situations. Nope. Um, And so if I were not in a predicament of needing help, and if I were in a position to speak freely, I most certainly would have had some choice words for that particular officer that I did not feel I could share in that moment because I, in fact, needed people to be helpful and saying what I really wanted to say in that moment might not have helped me um, get what I needed. So how does their situation resolve itself in the end? (sighs) Well. Unfortunately, in all of those cases, they got resolved by the person getting arrested and going to jail in both instances. Um, There were two arrests. He was in jail two times. And the second time, because I had learned something from the first time around, um, I needed to make sure before he was released. And I, you know, signed up for notification so that I knew what was going on with the case. I made sure that it was documented that he was not to be contacting me mm-hmm. in any way um, in order to, you know, once he was really, yeah, once he was released, that he's not to contact me. And fortunately, that seemed to do the job. I've not had any issues since, but it was, you know, but even there, right? Like systemic issues. This was a person who, you know, in some cases you have people who are stalking because they are aggressive and angry right. and they intend to do harm. This was actually a case where someone was stalking me because of their mental illness. And unfortunately, our system, my safety, the only option was, yes, there was immediate hospitalization. There were, you know, the first time he was about to be released from the hospital, they notified me of the situation. You know, so there was someone who was doing their duty to warn a hospital staff member. But again, when our option for safety is only incarceration, when really mental health treatment intensive mental health treatment is needed. And that's not an option. You know, that's also a systemic issue is that Mm -hmm. jail, right? Is jail the option that people are getting in the absence of mental health treatment that they need? Yeah. I mean, it's certainly, there's much larger systemic issues here that unfortunately I think seem to have um, impacted some of the system's ability to facilitate a response to you, I guess you would say. And it's interesting because what you're describing for our listeners and for us really is, as you you said, is this highlighting the failures of the system, you know, and, and it gives, does give you some indication of, you know, how are we, how are we doing this wrong? Like, how is the process not working right now? And this is sort of 
I think kind of highlights some of that. Question I have for you is now that you're post this situation, you're 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 looking kind of back in in the rearview mirror now on, on some of this. Are there circumstances or experiences or types of people that can be triggering for you that you find that really, you know, you talked about that feeling of um, kind of violation when he was at your house. You talk about that feeling of vulnerability. You know, you talk about the feeling of, you know, just when you're starting about being nauseous a bit and feeling, you know, really anxious. And those are all, you know, I think emotions are triggering when someone goes through a really traumatic event and you recall it, those are all things, very natural responses. You know, are there, so there are there circumstances that come up now, even now where you, that kind of brings up some of that, that feeling and emotions? I would say generally speaking, no. So, you know, I offer and have been offering some sex therapy services. I've worked with people who have broken the law um, due to some of their sexual behaviors um, and engage in out of control sexual behaviors, that type of work for much of it has not been triggering at all. So in a lot of ways, it has not impacted, you know, my day-to-day work. There was, however, one time in the not, you know, not so long ago where all of that was getting triggered again. You know, when I was actively getting stalked, there were times where um, I felt a little bit swirly. I was definitely hypervigilant because I literally had to be looking outside of my house. Is there anybody mm-hmm. out here? So literally I had to be on the lookout. And there were times where I would feel a little swirly is the best way that I could describe it. And definitely at least one occasion where I felt like my legs were going to turn to jello and fall out from under me um, when I had a little scare at the house that turned out to be nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, but years later, even though you know, typically speaking, this doesn't impact me. Um, when I first began offering sex therapy services, um, you know, when you're going to school for sex therapy or sexual health, they talk with you about some phone calls or interactions that you could have. Mm-hmm. Um, and within a one month span of time, I had at least one individual, at least one individual. I don't know if it was the same. It could have been multiple people, but just by coincidence, maybe I've had like three phone calls with someone saying that they were seeking sex therapy services, but it was also very clear that they were breathing heavy on the phone. Um, and that what they were claiming to be calling for was not actually what was happening on the phone. And so by the third time that I got this phone call within a span of a month, I just remember that I was getting off of the phone and that swirly feeling started all over again. And I'm questioning, am I even going to be able to do this work? I don't think I can do it. I don't know that I'm going to be able to do this work. And I had just finished doing this program. And I think it was probably that same day that I met with my sex therapy supervisor and I'm telling him about what happened and I'm all upset just because... I just could feel all swirly again. But the only time that I could recall having that same exact feeling was from this particular incident where I had been stalked. Do you think that your experiences, and, and Dan's made me know, um, do you think that your experiences um, and having gone through this, is that was that a factor at all in you deciding to pursue this? Um, your, you know, your specialty in, in sex therapy that you now have. No, I was just like, well, that sounds interesting. Let me, oh. let me go and let me do this training. Um, but it wasn't related at all, but yeah. I would say that if there was a situation that triggered me, it was handling phone calls, 
um, once they started advertising sex therapy right. services. Interesting. Okay. Now, question that occurred to me also was, I put myself in the shoes of the listener, and question I keep asking myself is, what you know, you weren't the only one going through this. You were, of course, the primary person. It was directed towards you, but I would say that you mentioned your husband at one point, and I was curious about what experience this impact had on him. You know, because certainly there can be some trauma, there can be you know negative reactions here that he he might experience too. Did you and him talk about that? Was that present at all? We talked about it. And I think the big thing that I recall from him is really that he kind of, he probably became hypervigilant himself, kind of on the lookout, paying attention. Like I said, he literally was like a watchdog, Mm -hmm. like looking out the window. If anyone has dogs, you know, like how your dog's like looking out the window, expecting someone to come home. Like that was him planted in front of the window, looking out to see if there's anything that's happening. I think that that in itself is really uh, emotionally heavy. Right. And that's not to take away anything from your own experience. Right. Uh, Trauma here. But I think it's interesting because that in itself, that kind of need to be vigilant, that need to be on alert is can be really exhausting. And really, um, it's interesting to hear you talk about that, because I do think that that's something that this experience you were, you know, it, it affected both of you. But another question I had was now that you're looking somewhat back on it again, you know, you know, over, you know, in the past now at it, you talk a bit about the, how supportive your um, employer was, the, the mm-hmm. place you work, the clinic you work, the nurse was. So now that you yourself are a practice owner, you know, are there policies or um, procedures that can be implemented or should be implemented that would help a practice or help their employees or staff to um, prevent some of what you experienced? Yeah, I think there were a few things that happened that were helpful and that would be good for maybe the therapist or any other staff member going through something like this as well. I mean, the one thing that I had to debate when I first got that Facebook notice and I and same thing when things were happening at our agency is if you are the employee that this is happening to making sure you're telling someone. Mm-hmm. Right. Rather than be like, no, I handled it on my own. It's fine. Right. Or I don't know, just a message. I don't have to do anything with that. Like making sure that you are communicating what's happening to your employer if you're the staff member. So because they can't support you if you don't tell them. So it could also spiral, right? I mean, we are dealing with population, especially at least in the mental health world, where there is a a portion of the population that does have some sort of mental impairment, is dealing with um, mental illness. And so, you know, there is always a possibility that this can then get exasperated, as it did in your case, where it got worse. So telling someone is the only way to kind of get this addressed because it could become much more violent. Yeah. So I think it starts with that staff member informing someone at the agency, if it's your clinical supervisor, if it's the CEO, letting them know that something is happening so that they can support you. Um, Our agency where I worked, they let everybody in the building know what was happening. Um, Not in a like we're breaching HIPAA by giving information that we don't need to give, but in a way that the people at the front desk knew Mm -hmm. that this person should not be in the building Mm -hmm. or so that this person's therapist and clinical supervisor knew what was going on. And anybody else in the building, you know, Mm -hmm. a staff member knew that this person should not be in our building, for example. Mm -hmm. Right. So we had everybody involved in trying to make sure that the workplace, you know, was good. 
that, you know, that things were working out. They knew who to report to if there was mm-hmm. something that was happening. So from that perspective, it really was a team approach to making right. sure that, you know, that I was good and safe on site. You know, they involved the police. That was really helpful. We had a meeting with the police. Mm-hmm. So that was good. We had an attorney for that practice. Mm-hmm. And so the attorney was able to meet with me. They went to court with me, which I had to go to court multiple times, by the way. Um, oh, so had to go to court multiple times before something was finally done, um, sure. you know, but I had access to their attorney, which is really helpful. He was able sure. to talk me through um, since I had not had to do this before. And um, because the first few scheduled court hearings, this person did not show up. I'm not sure why. Was it the address thing? But they weren't there. And so I had to go to court on multiple occasions. And each time that I went, my agency sent another staff member with me. So Mm -hmm. finally, by like the umpteenth time that I had to go to court, finally, I was like, listen, I've been there this many times and this person has yet to show up. Don't even waste your time or your money or your resources. Don't even worry about sending anybody to go with me. I'll just go alone. Mm -hmm. And they said, no. They said, no, No we're not sending you alone. We're sending someone with you. And fortunately, they took that approach because it was that very day that this person showed up for the court hearing. That person, this may not be this way in all courtrooms, but in the waiting area for court where I had to report, Mm -hmm. it's all mixed together. It doesn't matter who you are. You're mixed with everybody in the room. So he and I are sitting in the same area. This person, this person that I don't want to see, this person who has been trying to see me, who I don't want to see, we have to share the same sitting area. But again, remember, this person's not well. They're not being mindful. Like, I need to be on my best behavior. Yeah, of course not. Um, you know, so they're kind of getting up in my space on one occasion, like left another piece of clothing article mm-hmm. where I was sitting. Oh and so, you know, that was kind of nerve wracking. Um, so I was glad to have someone else there with me while I'm having to sit through this since again, system, like the way that the system is set up, right. Even in having to go to court and whether or not you feel safe waiting for your hearing. Did any point, uh, the person who's with you, did they intervene? Was there any point where you felt you had the opportunity been appropriate to mention to like one of the bailiffs who was there or anything like that? Like this person bothering me, leave me, you know, tell them to leave me alone. No, no. I mean, I wouldn't have known who to go to, um, yeah, no, that didn't either didn't either wasn't an opportunity or just yeah. If you were advising someone now in your shoes, then they were going to go through this, knowing what you know. Like, what would your advice be to them? Hey, you're going to be going into a courtroom, and this person who was stalking you is going to be across in a way. They might be sitting on a bench nearby you. You know, what would your advice to them be? Well, assuming that they, if they were an employee or staff member, right. you know, yeah. definitely, you know, and assuming that their company had done all of the things that I had just sure, mentioned, sure. Um, of course. you know, I think a lot of it is just normalizing that, yeah, the system is not great, right? This person has been stalking you because they want to see you. And now you have to go to court. They're going Correct. to get to see you. And now you get to see this person that you don't really want to see because, you know, it's a really anxiety provoking situation. And now you're going to have to go and this is a system and this is what we have to do to get it done. Right. Because some people might want to avoid that because right. it's uncommon. Right. So, you know, even thinking about other people who have been victimized in some way, maybe with like less 
capacity or emotional resources and having to go to multiple court hearings, dealing with really grumpy and mean people at the courthouse, even as you're trying to file paperwork, you know, is a lot. So I think I would just normalize what they're going through that. Yes, it's scary. Yes, it's annoying. You know, but at the same time, it's also, it feels kind of lonely because how many people, if you're a mental health practitioner, how many other practitioners do you know who have been stalked? Hopefully not many. Um, But in that sense, it's like, well, where's the roadmap? Who do I have to talk to? Who's going to get it? Mm -hmm. And honestly, two of the things that I ended up doing, again, this is kind of like before we used the internet for all of our resources. This is before like Amazon had a bazillion books on it. Sure. Um, but one of the things that I ended up doing was trying to find some books on the topic to find out, like, is there anybody else in the world who's been through this experience? Sure. And I did find that there was a psychiatrist who wrote a book on it mm-hmm. and I pulled it up for today. I don't remember this being the title, but it is the cover and it's called, I know you really love me, a psychiatrist's account of stalking and obsessive love. Oh my and God. <laughs> Yeah, I I really don't remember that being the title, but this has to be the book that I read. It was the only book that I could find on the topic with another mental health provider who was stalked. And the situation was so very similar to mine. And so I ended up writing the author and just saying, hey, thank you so much for writing this book. I have not been able to find any other helpful resources on this topic. And I just want to let you know that reading this was really helpful for me. And she responded saying, oh, my goodness, I can't believe that anybody is still reading my book. I wrote it so long ago and I certainly did read her book. You know, the other thing that I ended up doing, which was felt really weird for me as a provider, but I ended up reaching out to a local. I don't know. We want to call it a crisis hotline, but House of Mm -hmm. Ruth is a local non. I think they're a nonprofit. They're a local organization in Maryland. They work with things like abuse, domestic violence, interpersonal violence. And I ended up calling their number to say, hey, listen, I feel real weird about calling you all because I'm a provider and um, I didn't think that I would ever need to call you. But here is my situation. I'm being stalked and I am having a really hard time figuring out who's going to have some information on this topic. And so they were able to provide me with helpful information, just acknowledging that the stalking laws are really challenging. And again, that's kind of what I found out even in the process of filing paperwork is that um, even in terms of filing for harassment, there are certain things like that you have to do. If someone Mm -hmm. is reaching out to you via email or Mm -hmm. Facebook, um, that it's really hard to press charges um, for some of those things because someone can say, well, it wasn't me who sent the email. I left my I didn't log out of my email. Someone else sat at my computer and used my email or my Facebook. And so with stalking, there were a number of challenges as well as with things that you had to do if you wanted to file for harassment, things Mm -hmm. that you had to think about with people reaching out to you online. So, Mm -hmm. yes. So I had to find resources in a lot of ways that I wouldn't have thought of. That's the thing. That's what's mind boggling to me. I'm not surprised, but it's just that this is happening and you have to go out of your way to try to find the resources to to get help, right? So the addition is already happening. Now you're then taking upon yourself the, okay, yeah, you are being your your best advocate. You're trying to figure out, okay, here's what I, what do I need to do? There's no roadmap here. No one was telling you, telling you, okay, this is what you do. Next step A, step B, step B, you know, step B like that. That has got to be in itself as you're trying to go through this. So just 
such an impact on you. It's just it's got to be such a weight to have to be trying to navigate this, navigate your emotions while you're also going through this. Just it's unfortunate, I guess, is what, what I'm thinking of, you know? Yeah, it's a hard situation because it's one that I think, at least in terms of healthcare providers who experience these things, I imagine it's maybe not too, too common, which makes it even harder to get to get right. the help that you need. Mm-hmm. Correct. Kind of as we're, we're wrapping up, what is there any final thoughts or things that you want to share with our listeners about your experience um, or that, that takeaway that, that they can take away from this? Yeah, I guess um, if you have experienced something similar and you've felt alone in that to just Mm -hmm. know, not that it's good that you're not alone to know that because it means that more people have experienced this hard situation. Mm -hmm. Um, But in some ways, it is also helpful to know that you're not the only one who has had this experience. Mm -hmm. Um, It was helpful for me to read that lady's book and to know that I'm not the only one. Right. So I guess that I would say, and I guess also if, you know, you've done all of the things that we've talked about already in terms of getting the support that you need. Also knowing that therapy for yourself as a mental health practitioner is mm-hmm. something that's available if, if you need it as you're navigating mm-hmm. these situations. And that hopefully if you're working at a practice or even if it's your own solo practice that you have, mm-hmm. you have the support you need and that you're reaching out to supports who can help mm-hmm. you navigate. Well, I appreciate you being willing to talk with us today. One thing I would just say to those listening is that if you are or someone you know is in a situation similar to Melissa's now and you're looking for help, um, as Melissa said, you're not alone. My strongest recommendation to you is if you are in danger, call 911. But there are resources available to you in Maryland. And, and likely if you're listening to this from another state, um, in whatever state you're in, you know, in Maryland, for example, there is the uh, Maryland Network Against Domestic Violence. You know, one thing also as well is that I think we talk a lot about practitioners using attorneys, you know, when to help your practice. But I also think that situation like this, if you're in this situation, or again, if you know someone who is, talk to an attorney, find out what your rights are. In Maryland, for example, there are a number of provisions, criminal provisions against stalking, as in probably all states. So knowing your legal rights is so important here to being your advocate like Melissa was. But other than that, Melissa, I really, really appreciate you talking to us about this. And I know that this was a big deal for you to to do so publicly, finally. So again, I just want to express my gratitude for you being willing to to do so. To everyone else, that's about it. Um, Again, we appreciate you guys joining us for this uh, episode. Um, As I always say, I feel kind of weird, you know, talking about something so mundane, you know, after such a really important topic as today. But I just want to remind everyone, we are always looking for guests on our podcast. We are looking to talk to Melissa, to practitioners like Melissa, um, whether you've gone through something personally or professionally in your own practice, your own career as a professional, we would like to hear about it. If it's something you'd want to share, please reach out to us. You can go to our Facebook page. You can go to our webpage. Just submit a quick form and let us know and we'll be in touch. Other than that, I'm eternally grateful for everyone listening today. Um, I just think this is such an uh, important episode to do. And um, thank you again. We'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you for listening to the Protecting Your Practice podcast. Be sure to visit protectingyourpractice.com to connect with us, continue the conversation, and access additional information. As a reminder, the information on this podcast does not constitute legal advice. Listeners should contact their own attorney or paid consultant for all decisions regarding their own practice.